I want to turn you this morning to Hebrews chapter 7. If before I read the passage we shall be considering, I think it important to have a basic understanding of, of course, biblical history sometimes. That helps in our understanding of a passage, and this passage draws upon biblical history. There are some things that are rather unique in Scripture. And one of those things is the arising of an enigmatic figure. A very strange, sudden arising of one who met Abraham after God gave him great victory over five kings. His name was Melchizedek. And Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And he was also the king of Salem or king of peace. We don't know anything other than Melchizedek recognized him as the priest of the Most High God and saw in him one superior to himself and paid tithes to him. This Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king of peace, did not have a genealogy as the Levite priest did, of course. And so it is said that he was without father or mother. He had an endless priesthood. Now, there are those who think, well, we have here a theophany or a pre-incarnate manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we'll, we'll leave that there. Uh, we're not told specifically that, but we could surely understand why someone would think that and draw that from it. But he rose early, before ever there was a Levitical, a Levitical priesthood, before ever there was an Aaronic priesthood in the Old Testament. And his priesthood did not have an end as theirs would because they would, of course, come into death. God promised his Messiah to come through the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Levi. And yet he would be a king and priest, as we learn from the Old Testament passages as well. And so God makes a promise to the Messiah, to the chosen one of God who would come, we know to be God's son, eternal son of course. God promised him that he would have a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek that would be eternal, not temporary. And so that's drawn upon, of course, in the passage to which we look in Hebrews 7. I'm going to read verses 14 through the end of the chapter. And then uh, we'll consider particularly verses 25 through 28. 
in Hebrews chapter 7 and beginning at verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath, by him that said unto him, The Lord swear, and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, now we're drawing the significant application the wondrous and glorious truth, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself. He only made one sacrifice, and it did not require two sacrifices, one for himself as a sinner and then for the people, but only one. And this one eternal sacrifice has eternal efficacy. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. But the word of the oath, which was since the law, before the law, maketh the Son, who is consecrated forevermore. Why is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, qualified to save sinners? Why? is he qualified to save sinners and to do all the saving. He is the Savior. He does all the saving. He saves to the uttermost, completely, for eternity. His salvation is glorious and wondrous. So, why should we learn indeed to trust our eternal souls completely into his hands? 
to be like the Apostle Paul who could say, I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. It's wondrous that Christ came into the world to save sinners, to offer himself as the one eternal sacrifice for sin, to complete redemption by the offering of his own blood so that we come to trust only Jesus Christ and him crucified. We come to trust the one who completes the work of redemption. If by God's grace he works in us this eternal salvation. It's important that we comprehend that we trust him and rely upon his work. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Our faith is not to rest only in what he did. As glorious as that work is. Our faith rests in him. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. As in John 3.36. You remember what Paul and Silas said to the Philippian jailer who fell before them after uh, the earthquake opened up the door. And uh, he fell and said, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. We trust him. And rest upon his finished redemption only. We quote from another. The ultimate object of his death upon the cross was his resurrection and ascension that through suffering he should enter into his glory that he should be the perfect mediator between God and man presenting us unto God and bestowing upon us all the blessings which he hath purchased for us with his precious blood. Think of that word that the Lord Jesus Christ said to the desponding Emmaus disciples the third day after the cross when they didn't realize the risen Savior was walking with them. And he had to reprove them. They were slow to believe. He says, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? And to enter into his glory. He had entered into his glory. And the glory of his resurrection. So the first effect of the death of Christ. Is not the salvation of the sinner. The first effect of the death of Christ. Is his own glory. It's upon himself. He died the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. And given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. To the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
and have the priority of the cross in John chapter 17. The Lord Jesus lifts his eyes to the Father. He cries to him, Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. That's the first effect of the cross. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all things, Lordship of Jesus Christ, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him, the salvation of the elect. The first effect of the resurrection is upon the Lord himself. The efficacy of his work depends completely upon the excellency of his person. He saves. He is Savior. He alone saves. It's in his hands, totally, completely. In the hands of the sovereign Christ who has all power in heaven and in earth. So, why must we trust Christ alone and completely for salvation? Well, to begin with, no one else, no one else was appointed by the Father to this work of salvation. Only He he only, no one else can save. It is he who is appointed to this work. We must keep in mind always that God has been offended against by sin. He is holy. He is righteous. He is the just God. He is the one who alone can give his law. He is the one who alone can command and give the punishment for disobedience. He is an infinitely holy God. And it was against him that sin was brought into this world. And that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, man sinned in mass, in Adam, and then through Adam. The human race fell from God, fell in sin. It is God who is offended against. This means that salvation is left to his discretion, not man's. It's up to God whom he will save. Salvation is his. Whether he will save or whether he will destroy, it's in his sovereign hands and absolutely according to his own will. It's he who is transgressed against. See now that I, even I am he, and there is no God with me, I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand, so says Jehovah in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39. 
That's why the bestowment of mercy, saving mercy, is an option with God. No one deserves mercy. Not a single soul deserves mercy. I don't deserve mercy. You don't deserve mercy. From Adam to the last human being on the face of this earth, no one deserves mercy. We have sinned against an infinitely holy God. Therefore, Paul writes, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy. Whom he will he hardeneth. It's in God's hands. It's in the hands of the sovereign, infinite God of all glory. He's under no obligation to save anyone. This is why salvation is a matter of pure grace. Incredible grace. Grace only. Sovereign grace. Grace that proceeds from God alone. Grace that saves. That's based upon a love that is God's own choice. A love set on his chosen from before the world began. And so it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That we being justified by his grace should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I can't comprehend the glory and the greatness of that love. And if there are those who are offended at the great truths of election and predestination and so forth in the Bible, I can't help that either. But this I know, this I understand fully, that had not God chosen a vast multitude to save out of every nation and kindred and tongue, on the face of the earth, that no one would have been saved. Not a single individual would have been in heaven with God. If it were left to the human will in sin. God's justice is exacting. He's infinite in holiness. Scripture teaches us he's fearful in praises. He's to be reverenced and honored, exalted, magnified. That's strange in our flippant day, even religiously speaking. God is God. He is over all things. His justice is exact. Infinite in holiness. No amount of effort in any form on the part of the sinner could ever remove the least transgression. Not the least transgression. not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not all my tears and sighing as top lady could express it. 
could wash away one sin. Not one sin. So it's not because of man's merit. It's not because of man's worth. It's only because God is gracious that he appointed the way of return to himself. And there is no salvation except that which effects a true return to God. Salvation is not simply forgiveness of sin. It's not simply forgiveness of sin that's involved. Salvation effects a return to God. Christ died the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Not simply to religion. Not simply to some knowledge we didn't have before. Not simply to an unfounded hope that somehow we're going to end up in heaven if we make the proper decision. Salvation brings us to God. In truth, wherefore he, the Lord Jesus Christ, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. And there's no return to God apart from the one way God has appointed. No other way but the way God has appointed for a return to himself. He gave this in types and figures in the Old Testament. He raised up that Old Testament priesthood, the ironic priesthood, with its sacrifices that were necessary for order to, for God to symbolically dwell with the people. And that Old Testament priesthood with its sacrifices was divinely raised up to show that no one could approach to God in their own person. No one. When God gave his holy law at Sinai, he said, fence it off. Fence it off so the people can't come. Should they approach to Sinai, what would have happened? They would die. No one approaches the infinitely holy God in their own person. But only as they're represented by a divinely appointed representative. And that representative with an atoning sacrifice. But this whole system, the whole system of the priesthood, the whole system of the sacrifices of the old covenant, that whole system was not able to effect a true and eternal return to God. It was designedly imperfect. It had to be repeated over, over, over again. The great day of atonement, Every year, 
had to be repeated again the next year and the next year and the next year. And the blood of animals, bulls, goats, sheep, doves, all of it could not, if it were all sacrificed and every one of those animals sacrificed that ever was, it could not wash away a single sin. Not a single sin. It was designedly imperfect because it was preparatory in nature. It was a picture, a type, that pointed forward to something else, to what God had appointed. So we have here in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, for there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. There's a way the sinner can draw near to God. Isn't that a wondrous thing? There's a way to draw nigh to God. You couldn't draw nigh to God by the law. You couldn't approach Sinai, you die. You couldn't approach through the Old Testament priest and their sacrifices. That was only temporary. That was only there to point forward to something far, far more glorious. That whole system under the law lacked any ability to save eternally. Because neither the priest nor the sacrifices could ever take away sin. They necessitated a continual re-offering. But Christ, this man, offered one sacrifice for sins forever and sat down at the right hand of God as in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. All pointed to the great truth that the law lacked the ability to save eternally. That God had appointed another way, a divine appointment, that that was only temporary, pointing to something else. And another one, who alone would possess the full ability to save and no other one and no other way as in verse 25 wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them the Lord Jesus Christ is able because like or unlike those Old Testament priests, he ever liveth. He is alive. He rose again from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high. Having completed that glorious work given him to do, the wondrousness of salvation based upon him crucified. And the Lord Jesus ever liveth. 
because unlike any other member of Adam's fallen race, he had no sin. He wasn't fallen. The only one who ever walked the earth and he as a man was perfectly sinless. No sin. So he did not possess what the scripture in Hebrews calls the infirmity of the Old Testament priests that caused them to have to offer their sacrifices over and over again. When the Old Testament priest offered sacrifice for the sins of the people, he first had to offer one for himself. Because he was a sinner. Then for the people but the Lord Jesus only had to offer one sacrifice one because he had no sin he was not atoning for himself he was in the place of others and the divine message or the testimony of God the only saving gospel is of salvation in and by the Lord Jesus Christ exclusively. No one else. No one is ever saved apart from Him. No one comes to God apart from Him. No one is accepted except in Him. Only in Him. He can say, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, can preach to the Jewish nation. And he can preach to that most religious nation. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No one can save but he. He alone is Savior. To the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling in my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that faith brings us to throw off all thought of merit and to come as convicted needy sinners to look to and trust only in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Only those, only those who trust Him alone, only those who trust Him completely, only those who believe through grace are the saved. 
He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. He is the only one God appointed to this work of salvation. And he is the only one qualified for this work of salvation. Because this salvation involves mediation, that is, one who can mediate between God and man, and intercession. That was the work of the priest, to intercede for the people. Verse 26 of Hebrews 7 gives a sweeping and comprehensive statement in few words showing both the qualification of Christ's eternal priesthood and the condition into which he entered. It's much like 1 Timothy 3.16 that's vast in meaning also but few words without controversy great is the mystery of godliness God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit seen of angels preached unto the Gentiles believed on in the world received up into glory few words but we could take weeks or months or years and never fully expound all that could be brought forth there so it is in verse 26 here of Hebrews chapter 7. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. So we learn here why he is completely qualified to save us from our sins. Why he is the one who is qualified and the only one who can thus save us from our sins. And how he is completely fitted to deliver poor, wretched sinners such as we and to bring us to God for such an high priest became us. That signifies he's fitted in every regard to our salvation in relation to us. As another put it, none other could expiate our sins, purge our conscience from dead works, procure acceptance with God for us, Purchase eternal redemption. Administer supplies of grace enabling us to live unto God in all the duties of faith, obedience, and worship. Comforting us in trials. Delivering from temptations. Preserving us unto eternal glory. Only he can do that. We have his personal qualification here. Personal qualification. We know, of course, that he came into this world different 
than everybody else, but having the same human nature with everybody else. He came through the womb of a virgin. He derives human nature from her, from his mother. But the angel said, That holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. He comes from eternity. He comes from everlasting. He comes from what Micah chapter 2 and other places would teach us is an eternal existence. He has no beginning as to his deity. We have to use language adapted to us. We can't even comprehend it. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. That's adapted to us. So we look back and forward. But there's no back and forward with God. He's always in the eternal now. As to his deity, the Son is equal with the Father in his nature. And yet he's sent into this world and takes the form of a servant made in the fashion of a man with full properties of humanity. One thing accepted. He had no sin. No sin. He has a personal qualification. The only one who could effectually and permanently intercede before God on behalf of others was one who is absolutely holy. Absolutely holy. The Old Testament priests, they couldn't do this. They had to offer continually, not only for the sins of the people, but for their own sins. They couldn't offer a sacrifice that would be acceptable to bring truly to God. No one else could mediate on behalf of others. And you and I, we need a mediator. We must have a mediator. And no one else could mediate on behalf of others because before God, no other member of the human race is holy. Only he. And the Lord Jesus is as holy in his humanity as he is in his deity. He is as holy as man as he is as God. He was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. As in 1 John 3, 5. Everybody that witnessed it knew that. They knew that. This man, the thief on the cross beside him, had done nothing of this. 
That was an incredible thing for him to know that, to comprehend that. Even Pilate's wife, remember how upset she was? Don't have anything to do with that just man. The infinitely holy Son of God and Son of Man. Because in Him is no sin. Being without a sin nature. You see, we sin because we're sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we were born sinners. We were born in that condition. When we came into this world. But in Him is no sin. And because in Him is no sin, no sin proceeds from Him. Who did no sin. Neither was guile found in His mouth. As in 1 Peter 2, verse 22. And he who was holy toward God is harmless toward men. Holy. Harmless. Harmless. What does this mean? It means he only did good toward men. Read the life of Christ. He only did good toward men. He did nothing in the least that would cause one to stumble into sin or be led astray or be harmed in any way. As Peter preached in the house of Cornelius much later, he went around doing good. Harmless. Matter of fact, when he calls to come to himself, he doesn't say, stay away from me because I'm holy. He says, come to me because I'm weak, meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. You know what? I know we have all the wondrous doctrine and the doctrines of grace, but if you come to him, he'll save you. Then you can figure out all his grace that enabled that to begin with. But if you come to him, he saves you. He's able to save to the uttermost who? All that come unto God by him. You ever find him casting away anyone who came to him in the Gospels? You want to know you have eternal life? Come. Say, well, I think I have. Well, keep coming. Keep coming. Keep looking to him. Keep trusting in him. Keep relying upon him. Keep calling upon him. Keep seeking to learn and grow in him. Of no one else could it be said that they are harmless. You know, I've I've looked at uh, you know I've looked at my life. I'm sure some of you have too. And it, it's a painful thing to consider memory and past memory. I've hurt people. I've hurt people. I've you know I was born in this world of sinner. 
Hope that doesn't shock you. No, I'm sure it doesn't. But I've hurt people. I've done things that I regret to this day. I've failed when people were kind to me and when they, uh, they were willing to sacrifice for me and I didn't give them the thanks and, and uh, the appreciation that I should have given them. And I've done things in the past that have led people astray. Not the Lord Jesus. Harmless. Holy. Harmless. Every one of us, at one time or another, by our example, have done those things which would harm others. Not so Christ. Not so the Lord Jesus. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. When the Son of God, who became the Son of Man, came into this world, this world of sin. Sin is as common as the air we breathe. It's everywhere. Permeating everything in this world. And yet he remained perfectly holy. Undefiled. Holy. Harmless undefiled he remained perfectly and always holy so that though he came into a place of complete defilement he remained undefiled he had no effect in any way to lead him into wrong you and I we were born in sin we were affected by defilement and moved in its realm. It's no little thing when we read he was undefiled. He was as holy when he left as he was when he came. It has been said he was never infected by the evils around him. He touched the leper and the leper was cleansed. He came into contact with death. And death was conquered. He was in the presence of the devil for 40 days. And was as spotless at the close as he was as at the beginning. We may consider the Lord's separate from sinners here. Then in relation to those foregoing characteristics. Although he became like us in every other point. He was different from us in the matter of sin. Only in this matter. Because though he shared fully in our humanity. He never in any way in the least 
participated in our sin. Separate from sinners. This is why he's qualified to be our great high priest. And the last thing mentioned in our verse is the result. Holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And made higher than the heavens. Of all that was before said about him. And because he is perfect man as well as perfect God. He's now glorified. He's exalted above the heavens. He as man and our high priest is set down on the right hand of the majesty on high or to the highest height. He's exalted above the heavens. He's exalted above all. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all in all. He fulfills. And for that fulfillment. Dominion. Is his again over all things. And through him. And a new heavens and new earth. We shall have dominion. As God promised to man. And because he now lives and reigns, is exalted, is at the right hand of the majesty on high, is our interceder. He makes intercession for us who are saved. He ever lives. His salvation is secured because He secures it. He is able to save to the uttermost. Completely. Entirely. For eternity. All that come unto God by him. I'm glad salvation's in his hands. Not mine. I'm glad salvation is of the Lord. Not of man. Aren't you? I'm glad that he is savior. And. That his salvation is as secure. As God is God. Because he is the God man. And because he lives. Because he has brought us into a reconciliation with God. Not by our works. By what he alone has done. In his own death and cross. If when we were enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Nothing else. By his death. We shall be saved by his life. That is because he lives. Just as in Hebrews chapter 7. The only reason you and I. Who know the gospel. 
and believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God and trust Him and entrust ourselves to Him, the only reason we can have hope is because we're in His hands. And He says, no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. The Father's hand and the Son's hand all one. The Son does the works of the Father. Salvation is in His hands. And so, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. You know what's wondrous? All we have in this book of Hebrews his intercession is for all for whom he effectually shed his blood and calls by his gospel. Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the truth. That is, whether tabernacle or temple or all their items in the Old Testament, they were figures of the truth. They weren't the truth. But entered into heaven itself. Now, to appear in the presence of God for us. That's Hebrews 9.24. That's our only hope. It's not in ourselves. It's not in what we do. It's in Him. It's all by His wondrous grace and that alone. He alone is qualified to save. He is able to save to the uttermost. Totally, entirely, completely, for eternity. All who come unto God by Him. He is the eternal high priest of his redeemed. And God, with an oath, swore to him that he would have an eternal priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. No oath to Aaron and his priest, but an oath to his son. Thou art a priest forever after the order of of Melchizedek. This is why we trust him only. We trust him alone. 
we trust him completely for salvation because salvation is alone and completely in him in him only so what a savior What a glorious Savior. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him only? Do you have no hope at all in what you do, but rest in who He is and what He did? The glorious salvation. If that's the case, it's because God loved you before you ever knew it. He loved you so much he gave his son. The son loved you so much he gave himself. How could we not but cry, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord to thee. Let's sing Charlotte Elliott's great hymn. Sovereign Grace hymn, by the way, hijacked by some Arminians. But what is the number of it? It's, uh, I'm not sure. I think it's 431. Yeah, 431. Let's stand and sing. It's great him. Four thirty one. Oh. 
teaches the wondrousness that all is of God. Had he not broken down every single barrier, I would never have come. I would perish in sin. Had he not broken down every barrier and called by his gospel and through the work of his gracious Holy Spirit, I could not but perish. How about you? What a wondrous Savior. What a glorious salvation. You can stop the... Now. Kenneth, please dismiss us in prayer. Huh? Did you record that?